From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. You said uh, on the sympathy meter, inmates are, are very, very low uh, on that register, and, and, and that's true. But they're still human beings. Um, and the fact that the government has decided to convict them and sentence them and take away their freedom from them means that they're also have become their stewards. Um, and when you do that, I think you're obligated to care for them in a humane way. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Nowhere in the U.S. is the pandemic more dire than in the prison system, where untested staff and new inmates are exposing the incarcerated population at an alarming rate. Innocence Clinic Director Craig Torchino is back with us, sounding the alarm. Just to let our listeners know, we're still not in the studio. Uh, It's the new normal. So good morning, Craig. Welcome back to The Explainer. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. Great. Always fun. Um, It's obvious that everywhere people are in tight quarters for long periods of time, ships at sea, nursing home, detention facilities, there's a much higher risk. Are prisons and jails an obvious breeding ground and why? Yeah, obviously they are because you have a lot of people in close confinement um, and not of the most sterile conditions uh, around too. Um, and, you know, by and large, they tend to be more closely confined than the previous examples that you, uh, that you mentioned, like uh, ships and restaurants and hotels and the so forth. Um, so, yeah, if, if the virus were to get around in a prison, it would just probably spread like wildfire. And you're already hearing anecdotal evidence of this happening nationwide. Well, it's not just anecdotal. Well, first off, I want to mention that, you know, when we say, we're talking about the prison population, there's two types of prison populations. You have the first type, which is those people who are in a local jail awaiting right. trial. They haven't been tried yet. They either can't afford the bond that was set or they're being held on no bond. So you have those people who have not yet been convicted who are in close confinement with other inmates. And then you have the people sentenced to prison or sentenced to terms in county jail or local jails on that. And they've already been sentenced. So you have those two separate populations. Um, and, and there has been reports of uh, positive cases uh, throughout Florida. It's not just anecdotal. Um, as of uh, yesterday, uh, the Florida State Prison System, according to the Department of Corrections website, has 42 inmates that have tested positive. Yesterday, that number was 35. A week ago, it was four. So we've gone from four to 42 in a little over seven days. Um, their curve, I don't believe, is anywhere near flat. Right. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, I would assume that the jail being a more transient group of people is probably at higher risk because you have more people coming in and out in those close quarters. I mean, guards may be masked, maybe, you know, have some protection, but the inmates themselves are are coming and coming in and, and bringing things in, I would assume, no? Yeah, that's a that's a fair assumption. Um, that there apparently isn't much data on the local jail, the, that population that you just described, on who's positive and who's not. But since there are people more routinely coming in from the outside, the street, um, then there's more likely for infection there. 
um, with the state prisons, um, uh, the infection would probably have to come in from the outside being brought in by um, one of the vendors that services the, you know, the food vendors or one of the other ancillary vendors or one of the one of the guards. Um, there are, um, I think, uh, 50, 58 guards or Department of Corrections employee staff that have tested positive as well on top of the 42 uh, positive inmates. And as of yesterday, there have been there have already been two two deaths of inmates from COVID-19 related uh, um, illnesses. Um, and it's, it's not much of a surprise that one of them was 69 years old and one of them was 84 years old because they're right in the what the CDC says is the the risk factor. It didn't say right. what other ailments uh those individuals may may have had uh but you know they were they were definitely you know elderly um apologies to my friends who are 69 um i I know i read something yesterday that uh we feel like uh from uh immigration we are not getting good numbers because uh, especially among staff because they're saying well they're independent contractors so we can't really give you those numbers are we seeing the same sort of thing in in state det- in state prisons in uh, staff well there's the the Florida Department of Corrections on their website has a has a chart they they have been at least updating daily and as of this morning with the data from yesterday it was 58 staff tested positive and 42 inmates tested positive. Um, and like I said, a week ago, it was four inmates tested positive. Yeah. Um, so there, there's even though there are uh, privately run prisons, they're still under the umbrella of the Department of Corrections and have to report back to, to them. In fact, the the facility where the, the two the two gentlemen uh, unfortunately passed away, they're from the fa- same facility and it's a privately run facility, which brings up the whole other question or topic of for-profit prisons under these circumstances, right? The for-profit prisons get, th- those entities make money based on how many people are incarcerated. If you have to distance people six feet in order to keep them safe, then math tells you that you can keep less people in a particular room than you could otherwise. Therefore, they're not making as much money. Also, medical care is expensive. Um, and and so the, you know, so the profit motive doesn't really align very well with the prison, prison system in general, in my opinion. It aligns even less well in the prison system when there's safety and health concerns run amok. Okay. Um, so at least on the federal level, there's been a, a stepped up effort to release uh, inmates, especially from institutions where there are outbreaks. But without widespread testing, isn't this kind of shooting in the dark? It, it it might be, um, you know, uh, according to the department, Florida Department of Corrections, there's a hundred and I think it's 170 inmates that have been tested that they're pending results from. So the numbers I gave you earlier are probably going to increase by this time mm-hmm. tomorrow when when as they get more testing. And obviously we've seen in the population at large more testing it results in more known positive cases. Um, the question of whether when you know whether the federal system is shooting in the dark, they're they're basing the federal statutes basing its release on 
offenders who have been sentenced who who the the bureau of prisons has a um a mechanism by which they can grade a person's risk level for recidivism and violence and so on and so forth um and they low medium high and so if you score low on that it's a computer-based sort of data mining algorithm that they use uh, if you score low on that and you have a risk factor you're more likely to be released into home confinement for the remainder of your term uh, uh, on that, and that's been that's mm-hmm. been happening. There is no there is no Florida state law corollary to that, and the Department of Corrections, on its own, doesn't have the authority to just let somebody out. That needs to come from the legislature or from a judge. So, I think you know lawyers who have at risk clients, say an elderly client, somebody in their late sixties, seventies, eighties, who might have otherwise uh, risk factors heart problems, respiratory problems, diabetes, which is not uncommon at all in prisons of, of the elderly population, might need to be moving um, to have courts do some sort of release for them because, uh, you know, to a certain degree that whatever their sentence was, if they're at risk, like the two gentlemen um, who, who recently passed away, whatever that sentence was has now become a death sentence. Right. In the in the Florida system, is it the um, I don't know, the Fisher Island of incarceration where they they are widespread (laughs) testing everyone, inmate staff all the way along? I don't I don't see any according to the Department of Corrections. I I don't see any evidence of widespread testing because they have 42 known um, on their on their website, they have a chart of the ones that uh, I think it was eighty four negatives and and uh, uh, what are forty two positives and one hundred and seventy pending results. So that's not there's ninety three thousand plus Florida inmates in state prison. So test even if that number is five hundred total tests, that's not even remotely approaching the Fisher Island scenario, um, which is it's which is a whole other. <laughs> Um, kettle of yes, fish, exactly. So um, where else is there cause for concern? Meaning, like COVID in the prisons, COVID in the jail. Well, I, 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 I mean, given the given the way jails function, you know, you have a bunch of people in in a in a confined area together, where they're being guarded by a few people. Um, if it were to, you know, run rampant in one particular prison, uh, then it would go bad. In fact, the prison where those two gentlemen uh, passed away, I want to say it's called Blackwater Correctional Institution. Um, they of the forty-two positives, I think they have thirty-three of them. Mm-hmm. So it caught it caught fire there, uh, so to speak. And you know, last week there was four. Right. Uh, and now there's 30, no, 42, 33 in that particular facility and two dead all in a week. Um, so the, the rapidity uh, of the transmission of this thing um, is, is astounding. And I think it's astounding uh, the CDC and infectious disease experts all over the world. Um, and I think you put that into a prison and just it's probably an order of magnitude more severe just given the, the 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 nature of the way prisons are structured and designed and how people flow back and forth through them, um, you know, uh, for instance, 
you know, what we take for granted out here, you know, you, you, you go to the grocery store, you put your mask on, your gloves on, you go get what you need, you come home, you take everything off, you get your hand sanitizer, you wash your hands and, and so forth. Um, hand sanitizer is actually contraband in a prison because of its high alcohol content. Um, there's actually data that people, you know, try and extract the alcohol or just drink the straight stuff uh, to begin with. So it, there's, the inmates don't have access to, um, to hand sanitizer. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you have to go into the, to the bathroom or go into the facility and find, you know, and, and, and physically wash your hands, which is one way of dealing with it. Um, but the ease of, uh, decontaminating yourself, so to speak with hand sanitizer doesn't exist for, for inmates like it does in virtually every other, uh, realm. Well, I just, I, I imagine on the, um, sympathy meter, um, inmates are kind of pretty low on, on that pecking order. Yeah. Well, that goes without saying, um, you know, and you can even see statements from certain people in charge who have said essentially that, um, you know, society's breaking down, you know, releasing felons, not going to, felons aren't going to change anything. But then again, one has to ask oneself what kind of threat an 84 year old, uh, man is. Uh, in prison, um, when you know, st not subjecting him to a, a virus, you know, who, who does that hurt? Letting an eighty-four-year-old man out of prison, um, you know, and 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 certain other, you know, other jurisdictions are taking note on this. In fact, in Virginia, um, the governor of Virginia said that he he thought it might be a good idea to release everybody who has a, a less than a year left on their sentence, and that's about two in, in Virginia. It's about two thousand people. Um, I, I don't know what the data is in, in Florida on how many that would be, but that's not an unreasonable, uh, it's not an unreasonable, uh, point of view to have to release everybody who's got less than 12 months left. Um, you know, because you say so you do five years and you're, you know, starting on your fourth, ready to get out. And you happen to be a Blackwater Correctional Institution, and you go from four to thirty-three cases. Boom! Now you got it, and your four-year, your five-year census turns into something far more severe. Right. Hmm. Um, anything you'd like to add in closing? Um, I would just like to say that you know it's it like you 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 made an interesting point. You said on the sympathy meter, inmates are are very very low. Uh, on that register, and 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 that's true. But um, they're still human beings, um, and the fact that the government has decided uh, and and used its its proof through the criminal process to convict them and sentence them and take away their freedom from them means that they're also have the the uh, um, are, are are now become their stewards. Um, and when you do that, I think you're obligated to care for them in a humane way. Um, and that means testing, treating, and doing something so that they're, they're as safe as they could possibly be under the circumstances. Um, otherwise, it becomes a, a situation where you have rampant disease in the prison that could cause death. And the United States Constitution, the Eighth Amendment, says that there shall be no cruel and unusual punishment. And I, I think maybe they might start seeing some interesting arguments about that. I mean, you, inmates are required to receive medical care on that. The, you know, the law, in order to, to establish a uh, lack of medical care uh, by an inmate, you have to prove that the prison facilities is being uh, intentionally indifferent to your medical needs. Um, 
I, I don't know whether that's happening now. I, I think we might know later um, because this whole, even from the outside population, um, the progression of the of this virus has been a, 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 an hourly fluid uh, scenario. Uh, and I'm sure it's the same in the prison. So it's 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 a very difficult question. Uh, but from a humanity's point of view, if we're gonna if we're gonna incarcerate somebody for a crime, I think we're also obligated to take care of them for it in in order to be consistent with the Eighth Amendment. Well, I don't know that the for profit prison business plan really is gonna step up for this. No, well, <laughs> no, and 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 feel and feel free to to cut this out but there um, there's an old economics never there's there's an old economics experiment right and it dealt with um uh the british uh the united kingdom sending inmates to australia way back when and when they started doing it they would pay the ship captain per person that got on board and when the ship got to australia they started finding out that there wasn't there wasn't that many left on board because it got expensive to feed them along the journey and if they got sick it got expensive to care for them so they just didn't make it then some economist in england decided i got a better idea let's pay the ship captain for every person that survives on the end of a, at the end of this trip in australia guess what happened a lot more people made the journey interesting <laughs> well Thanks, Craig, for another uh, enlightening and truly terrifying uh, podcast. <laughs> I'm always happy to enlighten and terrify. Thanks. See you soon. Stay healthy, my friend. All right. You too. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you love our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's Street Law Program, an educational legal outreach program that trains current law students to teach law to high school students. For more information, visit law.miami.edu forward slash street law.